If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to John chapter 12. This is a very, very, very hard message this morning. It is hard. But I'm praying that God will give me not only the auction, but also the words to get this very hard message across to us. When I say hard, it's not hard as in beating anybody up. That's not what I mean. But it's hard as in when we hear these kind of messages, we just don't get extremely excited because it's sober, but it is real and true. Yes. Yes, I like the, I like the quietness. <laughs> I, ha- I have your attention. Let me read a passage of scripture first, then I'm, I'm going to give the title. If I gave the title first, half of you may leave. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to be blessed. Amen. John chapter 12. Verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. If I could just throw the question out this morning, how many of us have eaten in the last week? See what you heard. I said, how many people have eaten food in the last week? Some of you looking at me, so what kind of a question is that? It is the question. It is what it is. I raised my hand up as well. I have eaten. I'm asking that question to provoke a thought in all of us leading up to this message. Because except the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much food. What would you eat over the last week if a grain did not die? If a grain did not fall to the ground, disintegrate, and ultimately produce a harvest, what would you eat? If the grain simply remained on the shelf or in the barn, how can it ever be harvested? Yet today I'm seeing you. The Lord will deliver you in Jesus' name. My sister-in-law. I have eyes like a radar. <laughs> I'm under the auction of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that? <laughs> I know my phone, my phone will ring later on in the evening. But anyway, are you following what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. 
except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It abides alone. So the question now is, do you want to continue to abide alone? Yes, God's grace has appeared to all men. No doubt about it. Yes, he loves you and I unconditionally. You cannot do any, anything else to earn another inch of his love. And you couldn't do anything else for him to love you less. That is already settled. But if you and I are to produce what he desires to produce through his grace that's our work in our lives, then we must be willing to be subjected to death. Yes. That's the title I could not give you at the beginning. So if you want a title for this message, it's simply, someone's got to die. But understand where I'm coming from. I'm not talking about you running to go get a gun and shoot yourself and stab yourself or behead yourself. because you're, No, that's not uh, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the divine operation of God to bring you and I into the increase that's on his mind. Let me say that one more time. I am speaking of the divine operation of God in the life of a believer through which God brings increase into our lives. There is no other way. Look at what Jesus said and how he said it. Most assuredly. In other words, he presumed that his hearers must have heard other things at previous times. So he comes to them and says, most assuredly, or in today's language, most certainly. So this is not something you and I pray away. In fact, when you pray it away, you defy your increase. Yes, And really, it is not hard and it is not terrible when we understand what God is talking about. Most assuredly, except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. How much longer do you want to carry what God has placed in you alone by yourself? For how much longer do you want God's grace, God's gift, God's talent in you to remain just dormant in you. For how long do you want the gift and the blessings of God that has been placed in you in seed form to just remain in you, not being released to even bless you, much less those around you? Because except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It abides alone. In leadership, we are told that one is too small a number to achieve significance. So how significantly successful can you and I be by being alone? 
Anything that is built, that's great, that's lasting, cannot be done alone. God knows this. That's why God himself exists in a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God is a God of multiplicity. He's a God of increase and definitely a God of harvest. I think I have your attention. Now, let's begin the journey. Genesis 25. Genesis 25. Except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And my prayer for every one of us under the sound of my voice is that you will not abide alone. That whatever gift talent, treasures, blessings, or potentials God has placed within you, that you will find the grace and the courage to allow the divine operation of God to release it so that you will not only be blessed by it, but your generation will also receive and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 25, verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in a cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah, his wife. Now, when you read this passage, it's so easy to just read over it and miss the very poignant point that we find in this passage. Abraham died. Now you and I know that Abraham was a blessed man in his life. No question about it. We know that because we read that in scriptures. God blessed Abraham. But I want to submit to you that not only was he blessed in his lifetime, he was also blessed in his death. Because at his death and upon his funeral, we are told that Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury their father. Up to this point, the last inference made concerning Ishmael was in Genesis 21 when Abraham sent him out of the house. And all through scriptures, we have never found any other place after his expulsion where he either came eye to eye with Abraham or with Isaac. But when Papa died, glory to God, Isaac and Ishmael 
who had been estranged as a result of circumstances beyond their control found a way to come back together to be reunited or to be reconciled at the papa's death. Except a kind of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much harvest. What Abraham could not accomplish in his life, the reconciliation of Isaac and Jacob, the coming together of two estranged people, what he could not accomplish in his life at his death, God brought it together. Now, don't take this for granted because I know family situations. In fact, I know one now as I'm even standing up here speaking to you. I know one very prominent family in the city where I grew up where the mother died and one son is an associate pastor in one church and a daughter is a prominent member in another church. And when the woman died and it was time to bury them, the war only continued. Because at the end of the funeral, the son held his own get-together, repass in one place and one location, and the people that were on the other place can't come here. And the other person did their own repass and their own or feasting, whatever, in another location, and those over here can come here. This is a true story. Wow. Say, so, do you know the family? Yes or no, ma'am? You don't? Okay, thank you very much. Your husband does. Okay, no problem. And so does Mr. Mrs. Yetunde, so does Mrs. Abigail, like really, but I'll leave that for the sidekicks. But I'm saying to you not to take for granted that what we saw here is normal all the time. But what Abraham could not do in his lifestyle his death accomplished it. But not only that, this issue of bringing people together in a death situation, this issue of reconciling and bringing back estranged fellows, I find consistently in the scriptures. And that is leading on to the punchline of what God is saying to us today. If you go back in Genesis chapter 3, I won't turn there, but you know the verse of the scripture. Adam had fallen. And God needed to bring Adam back to himself. When you read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, the Bible says that God covered Adam with the skins of animal. And then he began to commune. Implying that there had to have been a death of an innocent animal in order to get the skin of the animal to cover Adam. So in that death, like what we saw in Genesis 25, they came together, Adam and God again, because a death had gone before to bring that situation has been possible. In Romans chapter 5, I think we should go to this one. 
Romans chapter 5. Except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Someone's got to die. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Look at what it says. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So not only do we see a reconciliation in Genesis 25, Ishmael and Isaac coming together. Paul tells us in Romans that you and I were enemies of God. We were estranged from God. The way Isaac was from Ishmael. We also were estranged from God. And in order for God to bring us back to himself, in order for him to reconcile us back to him, God had to send his son. That reconciliation only took place because there was a death. No death, no reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm midway through. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Just in case you are wondering, I know you know the meaning, but just, just in case. Reconciliation simply means to make peace between two persons or groups or to find agreement between two opposing views. Amen? Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are have become new. Many of us know that scripture. And we stop there. But look at verse 18. Now, now when? Now after you are in Christ. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Ah, there we see it again. Comma. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Did you see that? Not only have we been reconciled back to God, God said, now what I've done for you, now I'm committing to you a ministry. So ladies and gentlemen, reverends and reverendesses, you have the legal, biblical, moral authority to leave here this afternoon and go print your business cards and call yourselves Reverend John Doe or Reverend Jane Doe. Why? have a ministry. Amen. Amen. He has committed to us, not just a few elite men and women. No. He has committed to all of us 
a ministry. There is no such thing as a few ministers. All of us are ministers. If you don't like a reverend, maybe you should use minister. You are a minister. If you are in Christ. He has committed that ministry to us. Now, this is the real deal. We have seen that there can be no reconciliation without death. So maybe the reason your ministry is not flourishing is because you've been trying to do ministry without dying. You see, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But there is no way you can bring two warring parties together. There is no way you can bring peace between two enemies without a death. There must be a die. Someone's got to die. I told you it's a hard message, but it's simple. Because I'm going to show you how you will be blessed beyond your wildest imaginations when you lay yourself on, on the altar. Yes. Absolutely. God's got it all worked out. So then, who are we ministering to? We should define that. The ministry of reconciliation is twofold. Number one, to the unbelieving world. I have this here with me, and I cannot read all of it, but it, uh, it's amazing. True story. True story. Japanese soldiers. At the end of the Second World War, up to 29 years later, Greg, still fighting and hiding because they did not know the war had ended. There was talk in the bush of Indonesia and Philippines. And the last instruction they received from their commanding officer fight to the finish. 29 years later, in 1974, 1975, they were finding men who were eating coconuts and grasshoppers to survive because they thought the war was still on. Nobody ever told them that the war was over. True story. Reconciliation. There are men and women right now under the sound of my voice and they are dying by the minute going to Christless eternity. Because even though the war had stopped 2,000 years ago, they don't know it. The price had been paid in full for their redemption, their deliverance, and their salvation over 2,000 years ago and they still don't know it. Yes, yes. Who will tell them? Who will go to them? Who will offer them the reconciliation that's already been granted in their behalf? Why do they have to die without ever hearing the message? They are dying because we have not died. 
We have not died to shame. We have not died to fear. We have not died to intimidation. We have not died to whatever uh, perhaps cultural mindset makes us feel we have nothing to say. Because these unbelievers are not just found in a bush or forest. They are with us in our workplaces. Yes, they are with us in the marketplaces. They are in a subdivision. Everywhere you go, they go. But we don't understand our ministry. We are passing people by every day and we say we are going to a ministry. What ministry? The people you just passed by are your ministry. That's the first one. I leave that one alone. Because you guys are looking at me very heavy. Some, some of your eyes are rolling already. You want to fall asleep on me because I'm talking about unbelievers. But God will deliver all of us. Amen. That's our ministry. We're called to minister to unbelievers to bring them to a loving God who loves them, gave his son for them, and paid the price for their full forgiveness. But they don't know. So that's number one. Twofold reconciliation. Second one, which is just as important as the, as the first one. We are also to reconcile one another. I have never seen what I'm seeing in these days. We are believers. Brothers and sisters that belong to the same father can get along. It is at an alarming rate. Very, very, very ridiculous. And the reason is because we just don't want to die. My way, your way, highway. Simple as that. We fall in love. After 40 years, we fall out of love. Why? Because we are still too alive. I have never seen a man or a woman in a casket that responds to stimuli. <laughs> if you slap the man in the casket, he won't respond. If you kick him or her, they don't move. Why? They are dead. And I'm saying to us this morning, it is a divine operation of God to bring you and I into the fullness of what he has for us. It's not an option. You know when you buy a car, professor, they give you all this list of, do you want a CD player, DVD, there are options, and, uh, and each option you can choose which one you want and you pay for it. Yes. It's optional. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not optional. Yes. You don't pick it or choose it. If you want to see the divine operation of God working in your life. I'm telling you. So first of all, we reconcile unbelievers and second of all, we reconcile one another. How do we do this? How does it happen? First, I must tell you that the cross, death or the cross is the place of instrument of reconciliation. In other words, it is a death to our self-life. 
And Jesus is our pattern reconciler. Now let me define what this is before I get any further in this message because this is important. The cross I'm talking about or the death I'm talking about is not sickness. It is not poverty. It is not death of your loved ones or in fact of yourself. It's none of those things. It is important we clearly identify because when people hear about dying to yourself or picking up your cross and get sick, they say, well, that's, no, that's not the cross. No, no, no. Your wife is not your cross. Your husband is not your cross. Your children are not your cross. That's not what we're talking about. It's not being broke. It's not being sick. No, absolutely not. And I can prove that to you from scriptures. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow. For it to be a cross, you must have a choice in the matter. Yes, sir. It is not a cross if a person just got smitten with cancer. They didn't choose it. It is not a cross for a person to be broke. They didn't choose being broke. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is not a cross for your loved one to die. You didn't choose for them to die. Let's define these terminologies based on scriptures. Jesus said, if anyone will follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Which implies whatever the cross is must be a choice that you get to make. Like he got to make the choice whether to go to the cross or not to go. That is what the cross is. Cross addresses my personal desires, my personal demands, my personal decrees, those things that did not originate from God, but originates from me based on my natural default. Yes, sir. Let me explain what I mean by natural default. Things I will naturally be inclined to do based on who I've been all these years. So somebody slaps me, my natural instinct is to do what? Slap them back. In fact, maybe three times. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. That's a natural inclination. Act first, think later. Those are the issues that God is saying you've got to bring to my altar. All those natural inclinations, how you think in a particular situation, what you will do in a particular situation, how you respond in a particular situation, all of those natural tendencies that's driving you, that's not allowing you to allow the operation of God in your life, God says they need to die. Yes, sir. Do you understand the picture now? Yes. Now, let me give you, I'm going to get to Jesus' department, but before I do that, I want to read to you a text that I got about, two, about three weeks ago. But I must provide you the context for it so you can understand and appreciate it. It's hot in this place. <laughs> what, what did you all say? 
I know Charles is not talking. <laughs> I'm a hot person. Is the menopause? Will you agree with me? No. <laughs> at least, at least well, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, okay. okay. Let me explain. Let, let me let me set the context for you. This are, this couple is are friends of mine. They live out of states. They've been married twenty years. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to see what I can tell you because I don't want to disclose the identity of who they are. But I want to get the message across. They have three girls. Two of them are of college age, going to college. The third one is preparing to go. She comes home and tells the parents that in their school, they come up with a mentoring process that will help young kids be able to maximize all the potentials for scholarships and live through college successfully so they don't drop out. Both parents examined the program. The wife didn't like it. The husband said, man, how can we go wrong with this? Long story short, signed up on it. The mentor yeah, came to the house to visit. Because the wife was not in 100% agreement, when a mentor got to the house, she refused to come out to meet with mentor. So the father and the daughter sat down with the mentor, listened to the whole program, said, wonderful, let's get it on. Shook hands, and the mentor left. Two weeks after school resumed this year, the father had not heard anything else. Ah, these guys came to tell us about the mentoring program. By now, school has started. Obviously, the thing should be on. So he was wondering what happened. While the girl was in school, he went back and picked up the business card that the mentor left when she first visited. Called the number there and spoke to the person. Said, wait a minute, you guys came to talk to us about mentoring for our child. School started now two whole weeks. We've not heard anything else from you. Is the program still on or not? What's going on? On the other end of the call. Oh! Your wife didn't tell you? We came to the house. Your wife told us to leave. Really? So the man did not want to show to the mentor that his wife did not tell him anything. So, okay. He found a way to patch up that conversation, got on the phone, and hung up. Natural tendencies. <laughs> of course. Immediately found his wife. What happened? Because now it's, 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 it's just, he it was so flustered that, uh, that had his wife told him that the mentor had visited the house, there would be no need for him to call the mentors. So he now felt so bad, so betrayed, that the people came to the house, his wife didn't tell him, and he caused those people. So now for sure, the mentor knows that this family needs mentoring. <laughs> So maybe it should not be a child mentoring person. We should be mentoring the whole family. <laughs> Are you following the story? So in the case, in the, in the ensuing confrontation that took place, it became a big blowout. 
The wife called me and said, I'm just up to it. I'm down. Da, 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 da. I mean, very hysterical. I got on the phone and spoke to the husband. He gave me the side of the street. I said, ah, two human beings living in the same house, two totally different stories. I'm talking about hours of conversation, hours. Please pardon me. I, I need to give you the context. I'm going to read the thing to you. And I'm, we may be here a little longer today. But I want to make sure the message gets across. Yes, sir. Do I have your word? Yes, sir. So after the man explained to me what happened, I went back to the wife. I said, do you understand the genesis of this problem? This man feels totally disrespected because... The mentor came to the house, spoke to you, and you failed to communicate that to him. Well, she heard me, but she was telling me a catalog of other things that's going on. This happened, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. I said, I hear you. He owns his part. He will own his part. But can, can, can I just get you to agree that the genesis of this problem on the ground right now I know all the other things you are talking about. Two years ago, three years ago, what happened in 1952. I, 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 I hear all of that. I hear all of that. We will address all of those catalog. But can you just agree with me that the genesis of the problem on the ground is what... Ah, well, anyway. It took about three days. She agreed. So I said to him, I said, okay. Because this, in the meantime, the man said to me, I'm not talking to her. It's, I'm just the guy was totally completely it was done so I had, to say to him, I had to say to him you cannot keep on preaching if you are going to meet that disposition if that's your disposition then you cannot go to the pulpit in anger you need to sit down true story I'm telling you this, I'm telling you guys what just happened this, this is not a long okay so I went back to her and said now help me to get him back to the table the help I need from you is to at least acknowledge that what you did was wrong. Yes. Give him an apology and leave the rest to me. Yes. So he said, okay, yes, I'll do that. This is after four days. So when I call her back the fourth day, she said, yes, I've done it, I've done it. So I call the husband to verify, he said, done what? I said your wife has apologized. What else do you need? Let's get this ball going. He said, that was not an apology. I said, what do you mean? He said, number one, it was by text message. <laughs> All your husband and wife in here. I know, I know you guys. Are... <laughs> he said, number two, it was not really an apology. Please read the message to me. I brought, I, so I told him, I said, send me the transcript. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. Seriously. Folks, human lives are in the hanging, in the balance. Yes, this is not a joke. The only reason I'm bringing this to you is to make the point and get the message across to you. Yes, Someone is got to die. Both of you can be alive and think you're going to have a life. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Someone's got to die. So I insisted. I said, send me the message. Let me read it myself and make up the decision whether it was an apology or not. Please, read. Baba just got off the phone with me a few minutes ago regarding the issue. Wait a minute. This is the text to the husband. So the, the, the wife is telling the husband that Baba, which they refer to me as Baba, 
Don't call me Baba. <laughs> what if you not call me Baba? <laughs> Baba just got off the phone with me a few minutes ago regarding the issue of mentor. It's so amazing how I demanded for more information about the mentoring services. It could have turned around to be what it is right now. Somehow you must have been fed with wrong information or you read more into it. And only if you have asked without raising your voice. I wouldn't have responded the way I did. I'm just sick and tired of everything. Nevertheless, Baba had mentioned that we are going to sit and address the issue. But to find out later that you've refused to initiate the discussion. Because it's ready for an apology. I guess I have to be the bigger person to admit my fault and apology as usual. Sorry for misunderstanding my intention. Like I have always said, a civil and courteous discussion could have prevented such argument in the first place. On the other hand, I must confess to you that I am not happy in this marriage. From the beginning up till now, I have to contend with things like this in our marriage. While I appear strong on the outside, my inward part dies daily of pain and agony. And somehow you have locked up in your head that I am a mismatch for you. And you've reiterated that to me at every opportunity you have. And for a long time, I refuse to believe it. But now I have internalized and analyzed it to be true. Several times I have been at the crossroad and the valley of decision, but because I am not self-sufficient to embark on my own decisions, I continue to hang in there. In case you don't know, it has been difficult for me, as much as you think providing food and shelter is all it takes. It's deeper than what you think, and I keep asking God, why? Till this date, no answer. Bottom line, I don't want you to live the rest of your life being miserable. Neither do I. My new prayer point is that God should lead me to that person that I am meant for. Hopefully, sooner I thought, so you can be relieved completely. Now, now, how many men or women here will accept that from your spouse as an apology? <laughs> Let me see your hands. No, I'm uh, <laughs> That's not an apology? No, sir. No, sir. Are you certain? No, it's not an apology, sir. Okay. You all right? I didn't think so. And that's what I communicated back. And by God's grace, just to let you know, that situation is being resolved as we speak. Amen. I thank God for, for, for that. But this is the point I'm making. All of us heard that. And all of us were completely repulsed by what we heard. But if I was to follow you into your house, you may not have couched it in exact same verbiage. But that's what's happening. That's why homes are breaking up. That's why friendships 
are broken up. That's why we cannot maintain relationships. Because neither of us want to die. It, it, now, after, this, after, after I read this and I got back to her, I said, I read the text. It was not an apology. It took two further days. My wife is a witness. To convince her that it was not an apology. <laughs> what, what is happening here? She fell into her default mode. And rather than die and buy the bullet, and of course, by the way, the, the man had his own issues. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. And, 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 and the thing about the man is, it's like, it's like, it's like a, the psalmist of it, like David. You confront him, you're right, Pastor. You're right. I need to do better. No, no, seriously. That's what, that's what they did. That was what they did. That's what they did. You're right. I need to work on that. You're right. You're right. You, you cut me on there. You're right. You're right, Pastor. That's what the man said. That's what the man said. So I'm saying to us, you cannot have two people live in the same house or two people work together. Two people do anything together where both of you want to be strong all of the time and no one is willing to die. Yes, sir. Jesus is our pattern. Yes. And now for the rest of this message, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how Jesus did it and how if we obey and do what he is saying to us, how you can maximize your life. This is not just for married people, young folks. This is for all of us. You have friends at school. You have friends in college. You have friends all around you. And I'm saying to you that Relationship 101 works for everybody across the board. It's the same principle. We have to die to our own sentiments to our own emotions. In fact, some of these emotions are demonic. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When you cannot differentiate between how you feel and what the word of God says, it's demonic. Yes, sir. A demon is driving that sentiment. Yes, sir. When in light of the word of God, you see what God's word said, and you are going to believe your feeling over the word of God yes, is demonic. Thank you. I can say, you know, I know what, what God's work says. This is what the word of God says. I see it. I'm not there. I'm a work in progress. That I can accept. But when I insist that what I'm feeling, my emotion, my feeling, supersedes, is more superior to the word of God, you're in a dangerous territory. Yes, sir. Dangerous territory. Yes, sir. Someone's got to die. So now let's look at Jesus. Ah, there's so much. There's so much. Let me just quickly give us Jesus here. What can we learn from his pattern? There are three passages in the scripture that shows us how Jesus died. Don't mind you, it was all man, like you and I. Human. But filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was not a superhuman person. He was all human. Born in the flesh, like you and I were born. But filled with the spirit, and in the power of that spirit, accomplished his mission. Meaning, if Jesus did it, you can do it. 
It's up to you to accept it or not. Genesis 22. Three passages. Genesis 22. Thank you, Patrice. Ah, wow. Genesis 22. Verse 15. Nope, nope, nope. Genesis 22. uh, Verse 6. So Abraham took the word, I'm sorry, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a bond offering. So the two of them went together. Verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Are you kidding me? At this particular age, Isaac could have whooped Abraham's butt. <laughs> he was not a toddler. Wow. If he was a toddler, God would not be asking him for a son. He wanted a son, not an infant. Wow. And this son of age willingly submitted his hands to be bound. His legs to be bound and be allowed to be laid on the altar without any complaint or question to his father. Is this not what destroys our relationships? How dare you ask me that? What are you thinking about when you ask? Listen, I do it too. And when I do it, I'm wrong. I'm just as wrong as when I'm telling you not to do it. Yes, sir. And when I do it and God calls me on it, I immediately repent of it because I recognize it's stopping the flow of divine life in my life. Isaac did not as open his mouth to say, Daddy, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Wow. He could have had a thousand and one questions. But he didn't ask. Hmm. Isaiah 53. Abraham better be glad the boy was obedient. Abraham's behind could have been the one on the altar that day. (laughs) By the time time Isaac got to the the tables could have been turned, my friend. This old Sinai man, what are you doing? God, you get on the altar. What are you doing? <laughs> Praise God forever. Isaiah 53. This whole chapter is talking about Jesus and his crucifixion. I don't have time to read all of it, but one verse, verse 7. Look at what it says. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened 
not his mouth. Mm. Oppressed, afflicted. When you read the account in the Gospels, they slapped him. Can you imagine that? Slapping their creator? Yes, sir. The one who created the hand. Oh. You slap him. They smote him on his head. Wow. And in and through all of this, he said, do you know who I am? Because he was after something greater than the pain of the moment. Amen. If we recognize what God is doing in us in those moments, we will gladly surrender to it. Thank you, 2004, Emory Hospital. I'm laying there on the, on the, on the, on the, on the surgery table, having heart surgery. A painful experience that if I did not submit to for a week or a month, maybe 10 or 15 years of my life could have been cut off. Hmm. What am I saying to you? How much is one week of pain worth of another 10 years for you to live? Uh-huh. What is it worth to win a debate of five minutes and to die two days later? Oh, I don't fulfill your mission. Oh, wow. <coughs> is that what we want? To win a debate, to win an argument. They give you ah, a medal. He wins arguments. <laughs> but you cannot fulfill your mission. Because you short change your life. Or if you, or if you live a long life, you live a life wandering. David, when he died, the Bible says, he served his generation according to the will of God. What will be written on your tombstone? A man that passed through life. Is that what we want? Or we wanted it to be said that we fulfilled what God placed us here to do. Let me read on. Verse 7 still, Isaiah 53. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Aren't you glad that Jesus did not open his mouth? Didn't defend himself? Didn't pull out his divine card and say, do you know this is the son of God you are dealing with? Yeah. You and I will still be in misery. Yes. Defeat. Yes, sir. It is this day. But except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Yes. It abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much food. Folks, this is the reason for grace. Hallelujah. What I'm not able to do in my own ability. Hallelujah. Because in my ability, I will defend myself. Yes. In my naturalness, I will just look out for me. Yes. God said, I will give you the grace. I will give you the empowerment. I will give you the enablement. You won't have to do it. I will do it in and through you for my glory. Amen. Amen. Ah, last passage, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If we understand this message, we'll see that everything that's happened around us and to us is relative. Yes, sir. Relative by that I mean when you compare it to something greater, then you find out that this, on the scale of things, you're just making us about nothing. Yeah. That's, really, that's really bottom line. Yeah, 
That's the bottom line. John chapter 19, verse 32. Listen to this. Oh my God. Then his shoulders came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his leg. Do you see how quickly he died? That's another message. I can't get there now. He wasn't lingering. He wasn't trying to fight for his life. He gave it up. Yes, sir. But look at verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Why did they pierce him in his side? They want to inflict more pain. Yes. They want to increase his agony. Yes. They want to punish him more. That spouse, that friend, that person in your life that's always speaking, that seems to be at variance to where you are going, what you are thinking. Yes. How do you respond to them? Wow. Because when they pierced the son of Jesus to agonize him more, what came out was blood and water. Blood standing for forgiveness. You want to hurt me? You want to inflict more pain on me? The only response I have for you, I forgive you. You can curse me all you want. You can beat me all you want. The only thing coming out of me is forgiveness because you don't know what you're doing. If you knew what you were doing, you won't do it. I excuse you in advance because I know, I know you are better than what I'm hearing. Hallelujah. Blood and water. Water meaning refreshment. You see, the reason you are doing what you're doing, you need to be refreshed. Glory to God. If you are refreshed in the water of the word, and you know what I know, you won't do what you are doing. So I give you blood for your forgiveness, and I give you water for your refreshing. Be refreshed. I'm telling you, you're talking about ministry of reconciliation. When you are attacked like that on your job, and you respond in blood and water, even your wicked supervisor, he has to turn away scratching his head. My goodness, I thought I was going to destroy this man, but I brought everything but the kitchen table against him. And look at what he's just done. He's forgiving me and refreshes me. My God, who is your God? Show me your God. But when we retaliate like the world retaliates, we diminish who God is. Whew. Hallelujah. Blessings of being a reconciler. The blessings of being a reconciler. And I know, I'm so sorry, I've taken much more time today. But I think at this point I should just finish it so I don't have to come back to this. You want the blessings anyway, don't you? <laughs> Very quickly, the blessings of being a reconciler, in other words, the blessings of dying to yourself. Number one, your heavenly father is delighted. He's delighted. And I can show you that in the scriptures. Ah. Genesis 22. Let me, let me show you a couple of them. I need to move faster. So I can still get you here in time for one o'clock. 
Lest some of you don't speak to me again. <laughs> In spite of this wonderful message that says you should die to yourself. <laughs> Genesis 22 verse 15. Now notice, after Abraham had done what God told him to do. Verse 15, Genesis 22. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing, I have not withheld your son, your only son. What will happen? Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. As the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Do you see that? God visited this man and said, because you are willing to die. Ah, I can trust you with my blessings. In multiplying, I, can, I will multiply you. So number one, the father is delighted. Number two, your enemy or the foe is defeated. Amen. Because the intent of the enemy to bring persecution, affliction, oppression against you is to stop you. But once you don't buy it, you defeat him. Yes. You defeat him. First John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So number one, your father is delighted. Number two, the enemy is defeated. Number three, very importantly, your flesh is destroyed. Yes, sir. That should be good news to all of us. Yes, because this flesh is what's stopping you and I from being able to fully experience the power and the operations of God. Yes, sir. Every day you make that choice not to feed that flesh, you are destroying it. Yes. Every day. It's a daily process. Every day. Every day. Ah. Last and not the least. And this is where I'm going to bring this message to an end. Uh, I, I, I almost want to hoop this last part. Uh, but, 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 uh, I will spare you uh, the hoping uh, because death to self is the access to divine life. It is the portal to another dimension. It is similar to the TSA security checkpoint at the airport. If you don't go through it, you can go on a flight. But when you enter through that portal, and you go through that security door and you come out on the other end of it. It allows you now access to the airport terminal. Now you can see the airplanes the 737s and the 767s and the triple sevens. They are waiting now to carry you on Eagle's wings to your destination. If you're going to and a flight you must pass through this checkpoint because life beyond this point is vividly different otherwise no matter the class of service that you purchased a ticket for except you go through TSA you cannot fly ah, I'm here to tell you today God had this factored in. You see, in Genesis 25, in verse 9, when 
Sarah had died and they asked Abraham to choose any portion of land to bury her in. He specifically asked for Mark Pillar. There is a reason that he does just take any place. Mark Pella means a place of double doors. In other words, Abraham knew Sarah in the ground today. There's another door that ushers her into a different place. And that's the same thing that you and I must recognize. Dying to self is a temporary measure. When I get to TSA security, I don't pack there. I don't stand there. I just pass through it. Just as David said in Psalms 23 verse 4. Yea, there I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy word and my staff, they are comforting me. Why was Isaac able to lay on the altar? Because Abraham, the father, was standing there. Why was Jesus able to hang on the cross? Because the father never left him. Why should I be able to go through circumstances and situations? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me now. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. If God be for me, who can be against me? I know it. I know it. I know it. chapter 3. He said, I count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord my God. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformable unto his death. You cannot resurrect unless you die. You are trying to resurrect without die. That is governing the system. If you're going to live a resurrected life, You've got to die. Yes. Thank you. Oh. Hallelujah. That's what's that. Yes, sir. There must be a death in order for it to be a resurrection. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Resurrection power cannot be placed on flesh that's not dead. Yes, sir. It's an aberration. Absolutely. Doesn't work. How can you resurrect something that's alive? No, sir. Paul said, I count my life as loss. Because I've compared the two. Who I am and who he is. And when I place them besides themselves, it's no comparison. Yes! For the excellency of the knowledge of God. I want to know him. Yes, Yes, sir. And the power of his resurrection. Mm. But that's the process. Grace to fellowship in his sufferings. And be made conformable unto his death. Yes. You don't have to go to the cross any longer. He's done that for us. Yes. But now experientially, every day, we have to make decisions that reconcile others to God. Yes. Amen. Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you. In the name of your son Jesus. What I have not been able to say because of my human limitation. Yes. Yes. God, I pray. 
by the operation of your spirit that you help us to get this message. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That the affliction that we go through is but for a moment. Just a moment compared to what you have for us. A moment. And that the things that are seen are temporal. And that the things that are not seen are those that are eternal. Help us, Holy Spirit, to make this a reality in our minds, in our thinking, to renovate us completely. That we can yield ourselves in your trusting, loving hands. That whatever shortcomings we have in the short term is only temporary. Yes, Help us, Father. Make this a reality. Thank you, Father God. We thank you that that same spirit that raised your son Jesus from the dead will quicken us, will enable us, will give us the grace to stand and be a testimony to your goodness. Thank you, Father God, that your grace upon us will not be in vain. We thank you, Father. Thank you. We bless you. 